Our patient today is Dustin Fowler, a six foot zero, 195 pound male rookie center fielder for the New York Yankees, who sustained a ruptured patellar tendon injury on June 29th. We'll talk about his injury today and what his recovery is going to look like in the future. I'm Ben Davis, faculty physician at Swedish First Hill Family Medicine Residency. And I'm Jeremy Johnson. I'm a sports medicine physician from the Polyclinic in Seattle, Washington. And this is the... Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is Alex Bernadette, second year resident at Swedish First Hill. And this is The Break. here so I won't get fined. <laughs> um, that's right. So we, we, the show has been hijacked today by Alex Bernadette. I, try, I tried to squeeze him out of the intro, but he wasn't having any of it. So Alex, welcome and give us some backstory on this injury. Thanks, Ben. So uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about baseball and uh, a knee injury that we saw on June 29th. Um, we had Yankees rookie right fielder Dustin Fowler, 22-year-old kid out of a small town in Georgia who was getting his Major League Baseball debut in right field for the Yankees on the road in Chicago. Bottom of the first inning, he was running towards the right field foul line, trying to chase down a foul ball, and ran full speed into about a three-foot-high uh, retaining wall. Fell down, tried to stand up, and just collapsed right back down to the ground. Long story short, it looked like he had a patellar tendon rupture at that time. And the New York Times did a great article on this. If anyone's watched the 1989 baseball classic, Feel the Dreams, featuring Kevin Costner, they may remember the character Moonlight Graham, who played a single inning for the New York Giants back in 1905. He played in the outfield, did not record an out, he was on deck to bat and never actually got the chance to swing a bat at the major league level. Um, he never broke it again in the majors. That was his one game. He retired and became a practicing physician in rural Minnesota. And he died at the age of 87 in 1965. But uh, the fun coincidence fact is another New York team, 112 years later to the date of Moonlight Graham's appearance in the majors is when Dustin Fowler made his major league debut and one inning of play. So kind of a fun coincidence there. You know, shout out to all my Yankees fans who unfortunately may have lost another um, person to the curse of June 29th. That's okay. They have Aaron Judge. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jeremy, why don't you lead us off, uh, lead off hey. on uh, patellar tendon r- ruptures. All right, thanks, guys. Let's actually back up and talk about what the patellar tendon actually does. So as you may know, the patellar tendon connects the kneecap to the top of the tibia. When the quad contracts, this pulls on the kneecap and the patellar tendon, causing the leg to extend at the knee joint. Basically, getting up the stairs or getting up from a squat requires an intact patellar tendon. Really important. Patellar tendon ruptures usually occur when the tendon is at its maximum length 
and then is explosively contracted. So what that means is the knee is usually flexed past 60 degrees and then forcefully extended. Interesting, if you watch the video of this injury, it appears that he actually likely injured the knee before he hit the wall. He's coming to a quick stop. He tries to slow himself down. His knee is maximally flexed, and then he explodes into the wall. Likely he's trying to stop himself down, and that's likely the injury actually happened before he hit the wall. Yeah, so really the, the, the dramatic thing watching the replay on Twitter and YouTube is the impact on the wall, but you're saying that the injury probably happened before he actually made impact at all. Exactly. If you think about how these injuries occur, it's not an impact injury. It's not like a fracture. It's actually when that tendon is at a length and then is forcefully contracted and then the, the tendon actually ruptures. He likely had some pathology in his patellar tendon before this injury happened. Jeremy, you mentioned that people may have patellar tendon injuries before something like this occurs. Kind of similar to what we were talking about with MCL sprains uh, a little bit in our previous episode. Is there something that people should be looking out for beforehand if they do have a patellar tendon injury or things to avoid? Well, this is an extremely rare injury, and it's really unlikely to happen unless these kind of circumstances present themselves. The most common in a young, healthy individual way that you injure a patellar tendon is through overuse. And the term that we use for that is what's called patellar tendinosis. And usually how that presents is a patient will have pain with jumping activities. It's often presents in volleyball players or basketball players. And the pain is right below the kneecap on the patellar tendon. If you do an ultrasound of that tendon, you'll see thickening of the tendon. And really what we're seeing there is that the tendon fibers themselves are starting to break down. We used to think this was an inflammatory process, therefore calling it patellar tendonitis. Turns out it's not inflammatory at all, and it's really more of a breakdown of the tendon. This is likely what was going on in Dustin's case. There are other risk factors, um, but are unlikely the case for Dustin. Those include any sort of inflammatory condition like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or um, systemic diseases that affect the integrity of tendons like diabetes. Needless to say, this is a pretty dramatic injury, and it's going to be pretty obvious when a patient comes to the ED or to the clinic with this type of injury and mechanism. But are there any physical exam maneuvers or subtler forms uh, that we can look out for? Yeah, so the most typical presentation is the patient's going to show up and is not going to be able to extend their knee on their own account. And that's because the, the connection between the kneecap and more proximally the quadricep is broken. And so they can't extend that. What this typically presents like is a patient will not actually be able to bear weight. They won't be able to walk. They'll be significantly tender at the patellar tendon where it was. They'll, their kneecap will actually be brought up proximally. So it'll look like it was floating higher than his, the kneecap on the other side. One way to test to see if their sensor mechanism is intact is to passively bring that leg into extension at the knee and then ask the patient to hold their knee in that position. If they can hold it there by themselves, it's unlikely that you have a full thickness patellar tendon tear, although patients can sometimes hold their knee in extension if the what's called the retinaculum is intact, although that's a very rare type of this injury. So typically what we're going to see is they can't hold their leg in extension. You got to let us know what the heck is a retinaculum. Yeah, that's a that's one of my fun exciting words of the day. The retinaculum is basically covering around the knee that keeps the kneecap from uh, bowing out or bowstringing. 
it, it basically keeps those tendons close to the, the area that they're trying to put their action on. Um, that was a left I'm actually going to leave that in Uh, that was a leftover soundbite from the previous episode Um, did you have anything else to add about the retinaculum Jeremy no (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah so Jeremy um, obviously pretty dramatic what are your thoughts as far as imaging for an injury that Dustin suffered yeah so Initially, you really want to find out what that injury is. It's going to be pretty apparent if their kneecap is kind of floated up uh, towards their hip and if they can't extend their leg, that there is an injury somewhere in that area. Other injuries that can cause that similar mechanism is either a quadricep rupture, which is above the kneecap, a patellar fracture, which can also cause this sort of injury. And so I'd always start off with an x-ray to rule out a fracture. After that, the imaging modality of choice really is an MRI. However, in my office, I usually use an ultrasound as a first imaging modality, but MRI is going to give you that definitive look at both the quadricep tendon, the patellar tendon, as well as the, um, any other surrounding ligament injuries that may have occurred or a meniscal injury as well. Great, great. And so I guess kind of the big question for Dustin, Yankees fans, people with Field of Dreams conspiracies, what are we looking for as far as recovery for this kind of injury? This is going to be a long recovery. So... This sort of injury, if it's not a complete tear, you can actually treat non-surgically. You can put them in full extension splint for about six weeks and see how they do. That's not usually the case, though. So usually these guys, high-level athletes, especially with a complete patellar tendon rupture, they're definitely going to need surgery. So anytime you're repairing a tendon, whether it's a rotator cuff, an Achilles tendon, really you cannot put any sort of force on that tendon until it's healed. And so usually the earliest that anyone will allow someone to start using that tendon is around six weeks. And oftentimes it's even extended longer for this. It really depends on the surgeon. The really thing is, is that that patellar tendon has an enormous amount of pressure. It's about four times our body weight just walking that is loaded on that tibial tubercle from the patellar tendon. And so oftentimes what we'll do is with about every week out of surgery, your goal is to passively move them a little bit more. Again, that means that the the patient's not doing any of that action. So the goal is by two weeks, you're going to passively flex their knee to about 30 degrees. So that's not very much. And somewhere by about six weeks, you want them to get about 90 degrees with passive uh, flexion. Again, they're not actively extending their quad at all. And then around that time, depending on their recovery and how they're doing, you may allow them to start doing some active uh, quad extension, or you might just have them flex their quad while already in complete extension. Usually somewhere around the three to four month mark, they're starting to get into the real rehab part where they can start to strengthen and then they're going to progress on to more complicated movements. So proprioception, that is balance and, and more sport specific movements. But really, he's going to definitely be out one season and it's going to be a big if he's able to recover completely. And, and just for the fans out there, um, Dustin was rushed to the Rush University Medical Center the night of the injury, underwent surgery, and they were estimating a six-month rehab the next day. So it looks like spring training 2018 is our best bet um, at that time. Yeah, he's young. His tendons are, you know, overall, he should be able to heal. And, you know, I would say six months is the earliest that he really would get back to sports-specific activities. Great. So when the Yankees come to town... 
July 22nd, we'll watch Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, and just hope the Mariners can at least pull out two wins. <laughs> That's so, right. Cool. Go Twins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, one last bonus question. We had a uh, listener uh, ask a question from our previous episode, and that was with MCL sprains. We mentioned uh, bracing, and this is something that we talk about a lot. What brace are we supposed to use, I guess, in, at least in this instance, for MCL sprains? Because there's so many out there. Uh, Jeremy, what, what, what's your go-to for a sprain? You really want to think about what injury you're treating. And so the function of the MCL is to prevent the knee from moving into a valgus uh, direction. That is with the knee going closer to the midline and the ankle going farther away from midline. And so what you want to do is put them in a hinge brace that's going to really be the kind of similar action what the MCL is going to prevent. You don't need to lock that brace because remember, if we're just treating the MCL, the ACL should be intact, the meniscus should be intact, so there's no reason to give them a brace that locks because we want them to have full range of motion. There are varying degrees of hinge brace in terms of their uh, stability that they offer, and so really I would kind of match this to the extent of the injury. If someone's got a, a grade one MCL injury, remember it's just a stretching injury, this a simple hinge brace is probably going to provide enough control and uh, protection. Whereas if someone has a grade three injury where the MCL is completely ruptured, you probably want to give them a little bit more bulky brace that is really preventing any sort of that valgus stress. Great. And we'll uh, go ahead and we'll put links to some images of those braces in the episode description so you can click on those. The Break is produced by Ben Davis. Special thank you to Alex Bernadette for joining us on the podcast today. If you have any questions about anything we discussed in this episode, feel free to email us at breakthepodcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in more medical podcasts, I host one called Grayscale. That's G-R-E-Y. Search term wherever you get your podcasts. Alex? Quick shout out to Max Morgan and importantly, Jacob Ginsburg, the Yankees fans that are near and dear to my heart and for Jacob coming to Seattle to watch the Yankees in uh, now two weeks. So no Dustin Fowler, but looking forward to some good games. Still got Aaron Judge. (laughs) (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Yeah. Dramatic cue music.